before today's Educator Escape episode, I wanted to bring something to your attention really quick. If your school, your classroom needs earbuds or headphones, please, please consider TFD Supplies. That's tfdsupplies.com and you'll get them for 55 cents each. That's right, 55 cents for your regular earbuds. You're already using them probably for testing, your school store, your library, all these places. 55 cents each. You are not going to beat the price. Unconditional lifetime warranty. Free shipping anywhere in the USA. Over 500,000 earbuds in stock in 12 different color options. Please consider TFD Supplies the next time your school, your classroom needs earbuds. And now today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Educator Escape Podcast. My name is Seth Tripp and today is Thursday, December 13th, 2018. Thank you for listening in today. I hope everyone is feeling energized for the last week or so of school before winter break. I'm playing Christmas music in class every day to stay in the mood. Needless to say, my students hate me right now. If you did not listen to part one of my interview with Amy Metz from Tuesday, I suggest that you stop and go back and listen to it now. You don't want to just drop in during the middle of the conversation, do you? Go check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Yesterday on the Educator Escape blog, I discussed the reality of why some students and their families don't look forward to the Christmas season every year and how we can help. Go check it out on educatorescape.com. After today's episode, go subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I am currently on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, and Spotify. After you have subscribed, go give the show a review. As of now, you can only review on iTunes and Stitcher and comment on CastBox. So please take some time and review us on any of those sites. It helps our podcast grow. For all you people who listen to Google Play, if you haven't heard, Google has created their own podcast app. Go and download it if you enjoy the Google experience so you can stay up to date with all of your favorite shows, including Educator Escape. You can also find the podcast on social media. After you subscribe, go search Educator Escape on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. After you find our page, hit the like button on Facebook and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter. Because the show is interview-based, I'm always looking for new and exciting guests for the podcast. If you know of somebody that is doing something awesome in education, please either message me on social media or email me at seth.educatorescape at gmail.com. Also, if you have any other suggestions or comments for the podcast, you can send them to me there as well. On today's show, I finish up my conversation with high school ELL teacher Amy Metz. Amy and I will be finishing up our conversation with some strategies that core subject and grade level teachers can use for the ELL students in their classroom. Here's part two of my conversation with Amy Metz. You kind of aspire to be sort of like, at least in the in the sense that he is Mr. Ritter. Do you kind of aspire to be like a, a Jerry Nolan? Is that is that your goal? So I could never, ever those footprints. But I would not, anytime I am compared to Mr. Nolan, um, I, I just take that as one of the biggest compliments because I just know how special he is to me and so many other people in Rittner that if I'm ever put in the same sentence as him, then, yeah, I'll take it. But um <laughs> Aspire to be, I mean, that's a, I, I wish, 
I wish I could be, you know, maybe Mrs. Rittner someday. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I have a while before that happens. Jerry, I mean, I I pour my soul into Rittner, but Jerry's got three souls, and all three of them are poured into Rittner. Oh, so that is <laughs> that is that is a great quote. He's got three souls, <laughs> to, and they all poured into him. Okay, so little bit into the classroom now you've told us about this passion that you have for elo learners one of the things that i think i would find the most difficult and i've only experienced a couple of days firsthand by subbing at the national welcome center but uh-huh. not only what i well, what i would find difficult about being an ell teacher would be not just the difference in language which is obvious the the, the level in which the students speak English, but then you also have the normal issue of a English speaker, which is content knowledge and reading level and all that. So you're like differentiating on top of differentiating. Yeah. <laughs> how do you like? How do you even begin to do something like? Well, so that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think first. You have to have a relationship with your students or they know how difficult it is, right? So they, they've they been like thrown into this world where they're just, a lot of this is is just over their head and it's overwhelming and they're, they're having to learn. I can't even fathom how much they're being hit with at one time. Mm-hmm. So just like any other student, you have to have a relationship with these students. You have to work and work and work to cultivate that relationship or I don't know if they will ever buy into the idea that they can learn that much with you or you're the person that's going to be able to teach them that much or help them with it that much because you know you'll a lot of EL learners all of them are motivated they're very motivated but a lot of them are also really reluctant and without someone that they can trust and someone that they they are willing to take risks with, you can't differentiate on top of differentiating because they need to know that they can try things without being judged because, Mm -hmm. because they're feeling like that constantly here by, you know, society, by school, by anybody they come into contact with. So I think that's step one. I don't, I don't necessarily touch on anything academic within, you know, the first week or two, because really you just have to really get the, get to know the kids and especially their strength. And then that way, you know, you can use those to, to build upon it's EL students are so, so many of the strategies that you use with them in order to build their language and their content are strategies that are good for any student. So that's where I think it's so connected to how you can serve them in a in a, you know, mainstream classroom or in a content area classroom is that if you are if you are truly utilizing good for ELL strategies, then all of your students are learning. So so when you say differentiate on top of differentiate, it's true. But then again, it's not in a way. And I don't know if that makes sense, but any struggling learner would benefit from certain strategies that you would use for a language learner. Give me a couple of those. So, for example, something that you probably use a lot in school and that I know I use a lot in school and probably talked about in a lot of, you know, methods courses in college 
are graphic organizers. So your EL students are not going to be writing five, six paragraph essays with citations, you know, whatever, right off the bat. But what they can do is they can grapple with content if they have a way to organize that information and organize those thoughts. The most recent project I did with my high school students was I I was teaching them about opinion writing. And Mm -hmm. that's tricky for coming from the elementary level. I know how tricky it is for virtually all age groups. So I started initially with, with lots and lots and lots of student written examples. So not not perfect, you know, published pieces that we're going to say that this is a 16-year-old or a sophomore or whatever. Um, no, it, they were genuine. A student wrote this. Some of them my former students wrote. Some of them my fifth graders wrote. And it was just, this is a good piece of writing. This, you know, examples of good writing, non-examples of writing that could you know, could grow. So we started with that, just lots and lots and lots of exposure. The more exposure they have, the more language they're seeing, the more comfortable they get, the more capable they feel. And then from there, you know, I, I, you know, pick a topic that interests you, something that you feel like you could actually write about, not something you think I want to hear about, not something that you want to write about, something you have a strong opinion about, something that you feel passionate about, you know, so that they could personalize it because ELs will, when they know that you've taken an interest in them and how they learn and what they want to know, and they will work very hard for you. Mm -hmm. So, so from that point uh, on, I, you know, I, I created a graphic, I didn't go, not that pulling a graphic organizer from somewhere else is a bad thing, but I created one specifically for the goals I had for their writing. So, I created a graphic organizer for them and I and I included them in that process so they knew what to expect before they even started putting information into it and and granted this process took a really long time but when when things are broken down into comprehensible steps and you give them the rungs on the ladder that they need to climb from the bottom to the middle to the top then then they do it. They they work up to those expectations. So you're essentially talking about scaffolding, if we want to get oh yeah in the in the fancy academic language. That's that's exact. I mean that's exactly what it is. English language learners can do anything with the correct scaffolds in place. Which, like you said, and, goes goes feeds right into what you do with other struggling learners and who are non ELs. Exactly. Exactly. Really cool, and I and I and I, I feel like you're talking about the certain project that you posted it to Facebook, and I loved it because you know, I got to meet some of the, your students, and and so I, I love hearing about ELs who who write and do great things, and you're creating a amazing classroom culture over there. And I'm gonna is it okay if I read your your Facebook what you said on Facebook? Oh sure. Yeah. It said it's a picture of all these these papers that students wrote, and it said who said ELs are reluctant writers? Model, model, model. Be explicit. Use a graphic organizer. Create anchor charts. Differentiate for a language level. Provide sentence ends. Let them fly. And then you got all your yeah. appropriate hashtags that yeah <laughs> that go with it, and this. This particular 
assignment you put out to the Twitterverse and people just they just fell in love with what you had thrown out there and what you had done. What was it like to get all of that positive feedback from what you were doing in the classroom? I know that it, in terms of like a viral social media post, it wasn't that. But for me, it was a big deal because I don't know that I don't feel like and maybe this is my little like pity me at I don't feel like ELs get the recognition that they deserve for the work that they put in. Because if you think about it, you know, these kids are doing double the amount of work, right? So they have their native language and they're learning in a different language. And really what they're doing is what we're giving them, this input we're giving them, they're, they're internalizing it. They're really, most of them, depending on how long they've been learning the language, they're translating it themselves into their home language, trying to make it concrete that way. And then to respond to you or to respond in a piece of writing or whatever, they have to bring it back out in, you know, back in that language that they're learning. So for for my students to have created pieces of work like this and for people to recognize that and to retweet it and to comment and to, you know, our superintendent and, um, then people who are really, really integral in the ELL conversation on Twitter to notice this and pick it up was a big deal for my students. Like, of course, it was a big deal for me. Like, you know, there was some, I'm not going to lie, there's some validation there. Like, Amy, you're doing a good and right thing for these kids. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was, I was even more proud of them because it was like all of these other people were proud of them and and I knew that they could do it and I knew what they were capable of. And now other people were seeing, you know, that EL can, they can do it. And that's a really big deal for me. And I even told most of my students about it. I was like, you guys are blowing up on social media. And they're like, are you really our essays? And I'm like, yes, you're blowing up for something other than your Snapchat story for something really important. (laughs) it, it was a, it was a really good feeling, and and to some of them were so proud of it too. Even though they didn't see the post necessarily, I told them, you know, what it was and what I said, and that people could see that they were writing paragraphs upon paragraphs, and not just like, oh, my ELL students can write five complete sentences. It was, you know, they have real genuine thoughts and opinions about things that they want to share with you. So that was good. That was, It was a good feeling for me and for them. And it was kind of crazy. Yeah. What I hear, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, is you, you really fiercely defend them I would say almost to a maternal instinct, in a way. With them. <laughs> what, what I, what I, am I off base? You are not off base, and um, <laughs> it's so interesting. I feel like I don't know. Part of me is like, how do people pick that up? But then you know, I'm pretty sure I just wear that on my sleeve. They're my babies. They know they're my babies, and and I do. I do. I will defend them until I am blue in the face because I know they can do it. And sometimes I, I worry that they're discounted because it is hard for them. And, and But they're all so very capable. They just need a couple hands. They need someone just to help 
pull them up every once in a while, not even all of the time. Yes, I. It is a very maternal thing, I guess. <laughs> I don't see how anybody could find anything wrong with that at all and and i think part of that has to do with you have that mission go like going back to when you were in first grade that you just so enjoy teaching others and then you're teaching these students on just a totally a totally different level and whether or not it's double differentiation or whether or not it's or, or it's just yeah. simple or whether or not yeah. it's just simple bringing that they're like just getting at the light bulb moments. Right, right. One last thing I want to talk about is you sort of talked about it already, but I want to make sure that teachers who have ELL students in their classroom and they uh, maybe they, they struggle with giving them the best opportunity in their classroom, and it's not that they don't want them to, is that they don't, they, maybe they don't know how. So mm-hmm. could you give the listeners a few bits of advice on how non-ELL teachers, content teachers, grade level teachers, how they can support and encourage those students in their classroom. I would venture to say there there's some big differences between a great, you know, a, a mainstream classroom teacher at elementary and then, you know, a content teacher in high school. But really, I'm, I'm going to try to draw on the things that I know Um, can certainly be done in both areas. So when I think about academic language, that is something that I feel like it's in the back of a lot of teachers' heads. Like, you know, this, you know, this vocabulary probably needs to be explicitly taught, but when it comes to having ELs in the classroom, the amount of academic language that is coming at them every single day is overwhelming. And to have just some kind of simple strategy in place. And even if it's something that just your EL students do when they're in the classroom, maybe you you have front-loaded a few words that they'll encounter in a certain reading or in a certain lecture, and they have a way to sort through the meanings of those words. So I use a strategy in my classroom called a personal dictionary and a personal thesaurus. And it it comes from Dr. Shiraki Holly, who is... um, yeah, the I know him. Of, I've did. Yeah, I went, I went to one of his. Responsive. Yeah, he's fantastic, and his cultural responsive teaching and learning is so critical for for English learners as well as you know any learner. That's why I I keep going back to a lot of these strategies are good for all learners because really a lot of them are you know most of them are so. So even having something like that to where and it and it takes some some work to get it started, but to have some kind of strategy you use with your language learners. So if there's, say, three words you know for sure in this, maybe this chapter of the text, that if they understand these three words, they could get the gist of what you are trying to teach them. And no, they're not going to understand all of it. And, you know, they're not going to be able to go back and give you all of the, you know, parts of Hammurabi's code or whatever. But what are the what are the main aspects of this? Like, what do you need them to take away from this? Or or what are they going to be better off by knowing? And, you know, if there's two or three words and there's a a strategy in place, like a personal dictionary or something, for them to grapple with those words, that would make a world of difference for those students. Also, a, a word wall, it does sound kind of elementary, but 
I think word walls can be done in, in secondary buildings and they can be incredibly meaningful and mm. helpful. And I have one in my classroom. It takes up the whole back of the wall and it's not just a bulletin board filled with words per se, but there's different, there's different headings that they go. So I have um, an area for synonyms. So words like tier two words that are easy to learn when they have something to anchor it to. So Mm. a, a classroom, a content area teacher, tier two vocabulary would be a big deal for them because if they're, if they know for sure that, you know, there are some synonyms for this word that the student probably already knows, that's a really quick mini lesson. Like, Hey, I, I think you know what one of, what's an example of one that we've done before. Oh, like we talked about conducting polls at the beginning of the school year. And all of my kids know what a survey is. All of my mm. language learners, even my newer ones, they know what a survey is or a survey question. And, that would be just the world we live in. If you know certain websites, you have to answer a survey question before you can read the article. Whatever mm-hmm. they knew what a survey question was, so teaching them polls was was such an easy transition because you know there was such a clear connection for them. So little things like that, if you just look for the the connections you can make to their background knowledge, the word wall is critically important. My my kids, actually, I'm noticing I'm noticing them more and more looking up looking at our wall, back at our wall to see if there's some clue up there to help them with a journal entry or with a vocabulary quiz. They know that there's resources around them mm-hmm. that they can look to for help. So to have those resources in a content classroom, to have posters, to have language, language-rich posters and bulletin boards, especially with visuals. So if you have a, a vocabulary-intense course that you teach, Visuals are incredibly helpful. Just a, you know, some kind of illustration next to a word on a word wall. Gosh, I could go on I, about tips for no, content that, area teachers. <laughs> no, you're that's you're hey, you're knocking out of the park. I I the more the more what is it the more you know. I, yeah, yeah. But that's awesome. I have used word walls in the past, and I have, and I love the idea of finding a sentiment. It's so sentiment. I can't even say it. Apparently, I forgot how to say synonym, but I love the idea of the, <laughs> of the synonym of the alternate word that we could use because it's so it's so simple and it seems it seems effortless. Yeah, it really is to have almost like just a large version of a thesaurus page on a bulletin board somewhere, you know. Right. Yeah, it's really is really good for them. asking them what what is there. I call it an anchor word. I ask them like, what, what word do you already know that we can anchor this to? So in that, in their personal thesaurus, the Dr. Holly strategy, they never, ever, ever, the way it's laid out, there's a box at the top of the page and you put a word in, you know, in ABC order, if it's the, if it's the page for the letter A, you only put words in those top boxes that you already know. Mm-hmm. Words that you can use in a sentence, w- words that you have in your background knowledge. And then if you learn, if you're learning a new word for that, then you add the new word below. Almost like here's a list of synonyms for this word that I already know. So that rather than, you know, kind of like an old fashioned dictionary entry, they're anchoring that new word to something that they already have that's very concrete for them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's their language will really flourish that way. I've, I've noticed it with 
fourth graders. I've noticed it with fifth graders. I've noticed it now with, you know, seniors in high school. So it's it's a simple but really tried and true strategy um, that my kids are, are relying on quite a bit in their writing, especially. Very cool. I really like hearing your perspective on ELL teachers and your willingness and your desire to go to bat for them is it's empowering. So thank, thank you, so, you much. so much. A big thank you to Amy Metz for joining me on the podcast Tuesday and today. Thank you all for listening in as well. If you would like to keep track of the show on social media, search Educator Escape and hit the follow button on Instagram and Twitter and hit the like button on Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I want you to be the first to get all of our new episodes. After you have subscribed, go give us a review. It helps us get noticed. If you know any educators who are doing exceptional work and you would love for them to be highlighted on the podcast, please let me know by emailing me at set.educatorescape at gmail.com. I would love to feature them on this show. And remember that on the Educator Escape blog this week, I discussed the reality of why some students and their families don't look forward to the Christmas season every year and how we can help. Go check it out on educatorescape.com. Today's quote is a reminder to speak with love. Kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. Jim Henson. Thank you all for listening today. Hope everyone tunes in for our next episode on Tuesday of next week for my conversation with renowned speaker, author, and principal, Danny Steele. Have a great day, everyone. I'm out of here. <laughs>